Welcome to Meet Yourself, Learning Through Living with Lucy, a podcast about self-discovery and how to live in alignment with what you really want on your terms. Today's guest, Paul Millard, talks to us about his book, The Pathless Path, a story about finding yourself in the wrong life and then doing the real work of figuring out how to live. Through experimentation, Paul pieces together a set of ideas and principles that guide him from unfulfilled and burnt out to the good life and one that feels more fulfilling. So if you're considering leaving your job, embarking on a new path, dealing with the uncertainty of an unconventional path, or searching for better models of thinking about work in today's world, then you don't want to miss today's conversation. Hello, and welcome, Paul. Um, So Paul Millard is um, the author of uh, The Pathless Path, uh, which is a book that has recently come out, and I've been... um, really savoring it. I know a lot of people, when they first start a book, they're like, oh, it's so good. I devoured it. Well, I couldn't devour this book. Um, So The Pathless Path is about um, leaving the default path of work and figuring out, um, in a way, your own path. And the reason why I said I had to savor it is because this book is really not a how-to book so much as it's a book that really is a reflection book. Um, where Paul reflects on his journey, but also it really gets you as the reader to reflect on yours as well. Um, so welcome, Paul. Thank you, Lucy. That's such a uh, awesome way to describe my book. I love it. <laughs> yes, uh, absolutely. And um, yeah, just for uh, for our, our listeners tuning in, um, would you like to share like a quick blurb about who you are, or what you do, and why is this work important to you? So I grew up in a small town in Connecticut. I sort of uh, acquired the taste for wanting to be successful in prestigious career paths and uh, tried to break into strategy consulting, identified that as like this really impressive career path, but also one I thought I'd like. Uh, I did really like it uh, for a number of years, but as I kept going on that path and in those worlds of like successful careers, I sort of just became less and less interested with all the games I was being incentivized to play. Uh, Keep up with other people, uh, dress like other people, talk like other people, kind of like fit the mold of like what I'm supposed to be doing rather than starting with what was driving me. Um, So I went through a health crisis in 2012. And then over the following five years, I sort of had this creative energy that was unleashed into the world. I didn't really understand what was happening, but slowly it sort of took over my life and gave me the confidence to go quit my job. Um, And then the past five years has really been that journey of figuring out how do I do that? Why does uh, everything feel so weird when you step off the default path? And how do you build a life around that when uh, there is no playbook? Uh, yes. And I think that your book really makes it real for people. I think a lot of people think that the ones who are really satisfied in their careers um, kind of just like figured it out one day and then there you go. They had it. But I don't think that was like that for you. It was like years of experimentation, right? Yeah, I think... I've really enjoyed being self-employed. I think I have an unreasonable need for freedom and autonomy over how I work and how I live my life. Uh, 
but also I enjoy the experimenting and learning about myself and what I like doing and continuing to do that. Right. So it's not that I've arrived at any sort of place, but I love my life now and I love it because it's a continued challenge. And I think there's something to that, right? I think of my previous path, something that led me to be dissatisfied is the true learning was not happening. I was being told what to do, or it was quite obvious, be like this and then you will get promoted. Be like this and you will continue to succeed. And I found that stifling. Yeah, yeah. I I like, that's very interesting. This is something new, um, which is that true learning. You found that there wasn't actually true learning occurring. And you also mentioned that when you first got into consulting, you actually did learn a lot, but that was like more of the, just the the skills set of it, right? So can you uh, just... What is the difference between true learning and and that kind of learning? Yeah, I think most people, when they start a new job, you probably experienced this at Microsoft, right? The first 18 months, you're learning all these things. You're learning new ways of thinking, how the business company works. You're learning from managers. You're getting feedback. And then eventually, you sort of know what you're doing. And then it's really a game of how can I just keep continuing to do this? Typically, people that are driven get restless, and that's when they start angling for promotions, looking for other jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And what people are seeking, I think, is that beginner's mind, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the Mm -hmm. challenge was I had five jobs in 10 years, including two years in grad school, Uh, so six if you count that experience. And I kept liking the beginning of things, but finding that Uh, everyone around me believed that like the ticket to success and what the smart thing to do was kind of just like, shut up, fit in, keep going, get paid. Yes. Right. And I wasn't motivated by the money or status enough Mm -hmm. to do that. I think for some people, they love the money and status or the fear of losing those is so terrifying that they would never consider (laughs) any other existence. But for me, those weren't a driver. So I'm like, what am I doing? (laughs) Yes, yes. And knowing you, um, I think it's, yeah, those external drivers can only go so far. I do know you always, you're always into into learning and exploring new questions. Um, that's kind of your thing. <laughs> um, one of the things you mentioned then is that um, you mentioned something about how you weren't motivated by money or status enough, uh, but some people are, like that is what they like to do. And so that segues into my next question, which is, what is the what do you feel is the difference between people who are more suited for the default path versus those who are suited for the pathless path? Like what separates people who are more um uh, like you know more uh, who who more better suited for the default path versus the pathless path? If you if you notice any anything, yeah. So people suited towards um, taking unconventional paths. I think one thing that stands out for sure is. They've found some sort of activity that they find incredibly meaningful or pulled towards that they want to keep doing. And that activity typically involves learning, growth, or just is so exciting that they can't not do it. Um, The second thing is just an appreciation for kind of learning about life and the unknown and uncertainty. I think one thing that shifted for me is just uh, seeing, not knowing what I'm doing is an opportunity for growth and learning and being excited about that. So I've kind of flipped from 
thinking about trying to like solve my future and by planning to sort of knowing that the best thing I can do often is leave open space for like unknown uncertainty, serendipity, yeah. things like that. Because the way I've been able to kind of show up and the things I do naturally create opportunities in interesting ways that are really exciting for me. Yeah, yeah. I I think I that's something that I can definitely learn from you. Um, I have a tendency to go into like problem solving mode, like and planning and <laughs> planning, like over planning um, a lot of things, which I think is a good thing to do. Um, well, first of all, when you're on the default path, I, I think that that that's a very good thing to do, a uh, productive thing to do. Um, and if the question is like, I have an outcome and I know exactly what it is, you know, how do I get it? That's that's great, right? To be strategic and all that. If it's more from a place of I want to find what I enjoy doing and build my life around that, whatever that, even if I don't know what that thing I enjoy doing even is, right? I want to build my life around this feeling of, I, I think what you said is like people, they um, the pathless path folks, they tend to find something, they have something they really want to do and they just keep doing that. It's almost like if, um, like when you do that, and you mentioned in your book something about like how answers would emerge as a byproduct of you living the life in the way that you wanted. Yeah, and I think that is really hard to internalize and feel, and takes years. I think um, it's really like trusting that everything is going to be okay, which yeah. is totally different. And it's really hard if you're actually good at like planning and making things happen, right? Because the easier solution is often just to like spend enormous amounts of time removing um, the risk that uh, bad things are going to happen, right? Yeah. Um, So I purpose, I kind of saw like, I don't know, I think I was inspired by a few different writers. I think Rebecca Solnit's Field Guide to Getting Lost like just made me believe that like there is something magical or beautiful in being lost. And so what if I design my life around creating these spaces in my life where I have no answers? Right. Um, and what happens is over and over again, and I've started to see this as people take breaks, experiment with shifting out of worker mode is they're drawn to do many things. We, we, our, our intuition pulls us towards things, our, um, curiosity pulls us towards things. And those are often the things that change our lives. Yeah. You also like, uh, and and for you, was that, um, that was writing, right? Like, can you talk more about how, like, cause when you first started writing, you had no intentions of it, um, like becoming a a thing that you could get paid for. You definitely had no intentions of like, you know, writing a book, right. Or putting out all those courses. Like how did you, you know, figure out that that's what you should do like along the way, because they weren't, they didn't seem to be planned. Two of the things I discovered I like doing, if you give me enough time, what I'll end up doing is I'll write. Yeah. And I'll help people. (laughs) And I, I get a kick out of uh, both of those things. I think uh, w- 
even in my full-time jobs, I was always the person that kind of volunteered to mentor and coach other people. And I, I really liked, I get a lot of personal satisfaction out of making sense of ideas and then trying to teach them to other people. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of win-win and creates this virtuous cycle. Now, like online learning has emerged as an opportunity to make money from that. And that's really cool. Um, but I didn't go into it with that mindset. Um, it was more of like a pragmatic, like, I like doing this. I might as well try this. Yeah. But it wasn't, I want to be a course creator. Right. right. And same thing with a, with writing. I went to Taipei. I didn't have any freelance work to do anymore. Um, I really had nothing to do. Um, yeah. And my cost of living was very low. And I just kept showing up and writing. Like, and it was so fun. Like, I just got a kick out of it. And like, yeah. I don't know. I I just had this deep sense of knowing that like this is something I should keep doing. I should protect this energy that gets me to this. I should keep doing it. I don't know what comes of it. Um, yeah. I did do a couple experiments at the beginning to like become a writer. Like I tried to get published and then I just got all these barriers like yeah. the like mainstream publications. They didn't want anything to do with me. Uh -huh. So I just like all right, I'm going to keep playing my own game and like I'm basically just going to write about what I'm curious about and keep doing it consistently. Um, you do that long enough and you end up writing a book. <laughs> it's a, it, I joke, but I think it's almost inevitable. Yeah. You do something long enough, it will keep escalating in terms of commitments to yourself. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, like you've been thinking about it, but then it, there was also people in your life, right? That was like, hey, Paul, are you going to write a book? <laughs> like, like poking you in that direction. Yeah. One of the first public things I wrote about was uh, my health crisis after grad school. Mm -hmm. And I kept a blog and I wrote some pretty lengthy things. And one of the things people said to me is, oh, wow, your writing is so good. You should write a book about this. Yes. Right. So that was in 2012, 13. Um, I had no idea. At that time, all I wanted to do was like restart my career. Um, I, but writing never went away. It only continued to like grow and show up in different aspects of my life. It mm -hmm. took me five more years to realize I actually wanted to commit to writing. And then four years later, um, that's when I published my book. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember in our car, so like w what it sounds like is that this was something that you were going to do anyway. Right. Um, and you just kind of leaned into that. Um, and, and I remember in one of our conversations, you were telling me that eventually, you know, people found your writing, um, and you started having conversations with people about the same stuff. And, ideas started showing up um, also as a result of that. Like, oh, maybe I can do a podcast or, you know, or, and, um, uh, and I think with one of your courses, I remember you saying that, like, this was the second thing you, you pointed to, which is you just like, like helping people. Right. And I think most people like helping people. We just don't like helping people with everything. Right. It's like most of us, I feel want to help people, especially with like something that we've overcome before. Right. It's like, yes, we love to talk about that kind of stuff. And I, I feel like for you, it, it sounded like the more you did that, the more like um, like the opportunity to turn it into some kind of a of work thing just came on its own. 
Yeah, I I think I'm pragmatic too. I I think it's very easy to get into the trap of being tied to like wanting the world to be a certain way. Yes. Like I like helping people and I want the world to see this. Yeah. One thing I realized in the full-time work environment is nobody cared if I mentored and coached people for fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Even though I saw it as worth doing, I wasn't going to get promoted for that. I was going to get promoted for doing good on client work and pleasing senior leaders. Yes. (laughs) That's just it. Yeah. Um, Right? So in my current, um, if I just blindly just help people randomly one-off, for free, I would create a trap for myself in this too, uh, and not being able to like make money from that. So like, yes, I I saw like online courses like, oh, this is a way like I can create something that people might be able to consume. I could make money from it. Um, And it's also a signal that I like helping people with this. So like people still can reach out to me. Yeah. Um, I have an online course around consulting skills, but if people just emailed me, I would probably help all of them. <laughs> yeah, I get a kick because I get a kick out of it. Yeah, that's and I think um one of the things you mentioned in your book. So like relating to that, you um you said something about how a lot of former consultants at firms who end up becoming freelancers are surprised at how much less time it takes to do the same work. Not because the work is easier. In fact, it's actually harder because you don't have all the resources, right? If you're just on your own. Um, But it's easier because there are no longer like hundreds of different people that you feel you need to like impress or like satisfy their conditions. Uh, You also mentioned something about how like it takes a lot of, and this is something I, I experience myself. It takes a lot of energy to deny yourself, like your own creative expression. Um, it's like it takes more energy to hold yourself back, right, than it does to just kind of like, um, I guess, unleash it um, would be the way to way to say that. Um, I, I, I'm very, yeah. Do you want to speak to that more? I think deep down there's things we're called to do. Yeah. And we fill ourselves with so many stories about what we should be doing. Uh, I can't do this because of that. I can't do this because of that. That's not a realistic thing to do. Right. And that's fine as long as it's setting your life up in a way you're happy with. But by like sticking to the stories and these are the like scripts we're born into. They can be religious scripts, family scripts, cultural scripts Yeah. Uh, about like who's a good person, what's worth doing. Um, we lose track of, Oh, we just need to laugh a little more in our lives. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think the helping professions are some of the biggest that struggle with this. Um, they think I want to help people. So I'm going to go work in nursing. And then they realize they spend 70% of their time dealing with administrative nonsense. Mm -hmm. Right. And they actually might get more out of like working on Microsoft because you could like help people and everyone's getting paid well. So like no one's struggling and (laughs) like the company is growing and kind of works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's really hard to figure out. Um, and like one of the challenges of full-time work is you can only change jobs so often because people stop hiring if you change too much. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. That's one thing I like about being self-employed is I can just try a new job every month. Right. And I think that um, what you said, uh, because you brought that up again, and I think this this really does um, deserve reinforcing, which is the figuring out what do you actually want out of out of the job? Um, because otherwise, there's it's never going to feel enough because there's so many things different jobs can provide. And, you know, like um, you're always going to think you want something else um, I, or at least and I'm projecting because that was a thing that I went through. Um, but and, and when you say getting like like like, for instance, the uh, example you gave of like the nursing thing, right? Like if you want to help people, if, if that's like the core thing of what you want, there's all the different, you know, so many different other ways of like getting that. And what is like the most aligned match for that? Like it may not be nursing. It could be something else. Um, by putting yourself into kind of like artificial restrictions, I think is what happens. Um, I think that goes back to the whole like you're spending a lot of energy on basically like holding back um, from like fully experiencing what you uh, what you want. Um, yeah, it and yeah. it gets down to some really basic stuff. People are just scared, and of of what <laughs> uncertainty, not knowing, ah, people yes. not approving of them, like and those are real, and that's kind of what I write about is, and I tell people, yes, you can take a different path. It might suck. It might be so terrible. It might feel awful in the first couple of years, but it might also be worth it. Yes. Yes. And um, I, I'm glad. You, so this is a great lead in to um, some of the barriers. And I think the two biggest ones are money and um, and relationships. Um, I'm very curious. You must have had this question a lot, right? Which is, and I know you've also like fought with this, which is the, but what about money? <laughs> right. Yeah. What if I run out of money? And I know in your book, in two instances, at least that I remember you uh, were kind of like frantically looking for money and you accepted, you know, whatever offer came that gave you a lot of, that gave you like the most money. And then you caught yourself and you were like, Oh wait, I'm just doing this because I have a fear around money. And that's not, you know, my, the, the reason why I'm on this path is, is not because of the money thing. It's because of, you know, I want to, I want to find fulfilling work for, for myself. Um, but I'm curious, what is your response to that? Cause there are people, cause and on one hand, it's easy to, you, you can say like, is this a real problem or, you know, is this like a, um, is this like, is money a real problem? In which case, you know, maybe there's one thing you can do with it about that. Or if it's not, you know, what no, do you do about that? Yeah. I think money is very personal. And I think money is something people should take very seriously. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is they should interrogate their real the stories they attach to what money means, um, to what it says about them, how much they need. Um money fears are infinite. Infinite. And they and they typically can't be solved by making more money. Hmm. Funny enough, I do think making less money can solve people's money fears. <laughs> can you explain that? Yeah. Be because especially after you've like started making more and then you make less, uh, you start to see some of the trade-offs more clearly in terms of like things you've either added into your life that it's very easy if you're in if you have a steady income and your income keeps going up to think, I need these things. This is what I want. Yeah. Um we can delude ourselves <laughs> a yeah. lot. It turns out when I was making 20 grand, 
like the year after I left my job, um, I didn't actually want most of the stuff I thought I did. And I felt pretty stupid about that. <laughs> did you not realize um, it until you left that you didn't actually want most of the stuff? I, th- I think I always knew is like, I wanted less stuff. I've never been somebody that like really covets nice things. Um, but like I was living my life around just like, oh, I like being able to go out to dinner and not have to worry about how much things cost. Okay. Um, now do I have to worry about that? Yes, but I've also realized and ended up marrying somebody that like we went out to a fancy dinner last week and we were like, I don't know if we really like this. What are we paying for this? We could get tacos down the street. Um, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, so, so that's not a cost for me, right? Right. Um, for some people, that's really important to them. They love food. Um some people in my life, like they love it. Like they love it so much. Now, if they made way less money, would they still need that to be happy? I don't know. Like that's where I'm like, test that. Mm. But money fears are like infinite. I, I've just never seen, like I've talked to such a wide range of people too. It's so funny. Like I've talked to people with millions of dollars in the bank that you'd think they were absolutely broke. Or like, oh, a day away from just having no money. And then I've talked to like, I was talking to this college student who's like a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And he's like, I'm just going to follow my own path. I'm going to travel for a year. And I'm like, these people live on different wow. planets. Yeah, they- <laughs> Right. So it's yeah. a very personal thing. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're getting caught up on like what other people are saying about money or like what you think you should think about money, like you're not going deep enough. Right. I, I, okay, so the two. One, so, one of the exercises yeah. I think super valuable. What are the 10 reasons you make money? People can easily come up with like three or four. Oh, my family, uh, food, um, housing. Yep. And then, like, around four or five, it's like, wait, why am I making money? Yeah, I, I love that. What are the 10 reasons you need money? And I think the two things is like, if you catch yourself trying to figure out, what do I need money or how much money do I need based on either one, what other people are making or two, what you think you should be making. And that's a really tricky one (laughs) to like be able to suss out. Um, When people have a hard time realizing that like people make very different decisions. So we tend to assume people think like us. This is called like the illusion of transparency. I think like we think people have all the knowledge that we have in our head. Um, But so people will say these things to me, like, don't you think, like, or aren't you worried about this? Yeah. It's like, well, if I was worried about that, I would be dealing with it. Right. (laughs) They're like, aren't you, they'll say things like, aren't you worried about not having a home you own if you have kids? Right. It's like, wow, there is a lot in that. Um, what you're telling yeah. me is you worry about that. Yes. Yes. I I look at that problem completely different. I look at it as, okay, if I do decide I want a home, I will have to work more and try to make more money for that. But yeah. like right now, my assumption is that like I can be a good person by renting. Awesome. So <laughs> I that's so that's so like something I've like observed too. And 
by the way, I am somebody who would be worried, right? So I'm not you. We're, we live in different worlds. I would be worried if I don't, you know, have a home for children or whatever for re- for my own set of reasons. But well, it's but, but it's like I'm not going to be ch- like. I would ask yeah. you, like, why can't you rent a house? Yeah. So I think the answer, <laughs> the honest answer to that is, I probably could, but I didn't think I haven't thought about that because I have yeah. a home. Well, so and I, that's, I've never that's, experimented with it. So that's like, and that's the thing, right? Yeah. These are like untested assumptions, or they're like surface level, and we've never really interrogated them. So, like, one right. thing that just makes me a little different is I just get super like detailed and try to be first principle about this stuff. Can you explain what first principles mean? Yeah. So I start with the question. Like, yes, I don't start with the like. A lot of people start with like, well, you have to work. Uh huh. I start with like, well, what do I want to do? Yes. Okay. I want to do X, Y, and Z. Okay. Well, well, what does that mean for my life? Okay. That will mean I'll make this amount of money or not make this amount of money. That mean, might mean I'll struggle in this way. Am I okay with struggling with that? Yeah. So it's like starting with like who I am. So another question is like, um, Seth Godin asks this a lot. It's like, what is this for? Right. Right. So you're a top-down assumption is like, I need to own a home to have kids. Yeah. The other question is like, what is it for? So is there a space where I can create a loving environment? How could you do that? You could do that in many different ways, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, now, one solution is to copy-paste what your parents did. Yes. But to me, that's just one solution. A lot of people don't realize that they're just running a copy-paste program of what they grew up with and assuming that's the only way to live life. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think if it doesn't, I, I think what it is also is like, if it doesn't become a problem for them, they don't think to ask the first principle question, right? So yeah, there's no need to question it. With the like, home and the children, I realize you're right. Why do I think I need a home for children? I've never asked that question, right? Why didn't I ever ask that question? It never popped up. And so I think it's interesting because when people ask, I guess that, that's like when people ask the question, like, aren't you worried about something, something? Um, I'm curious if that's, a, it's like, because this is, I, I don't, because I don't see life being lived this way any, any way else. And so- Therefore, I'd be worried about it um, and because I haven't really well, thought that through <laughs> as well. Yeah, what, what people are saying when they're saying, don't you worry about X, what they're really saying is, why did you make me think about this? <laughs> now, yeah, oh, now, oh, yes, now, yeah. now I'm a little scared and I'm a little uncomfortable and I don't like that. So I'm either uh. going to attack you, I'm going to shut down, or... <laughs> Like I need to explain away what you just released to me. Um, and But this is not the majority of people that reach out to me. I'm writing for the people like you who are curious to like question these things. No, I don't think um, the, yeah. <laughs> but, the, but this is what's happening, right? Hmm. Um, and so what I've discovered is like it has nothing to do with any of these questions. It really has to do with like fundamental fears. Yeah. Do people love me? Am I good enough? Um, am I a failure? Am I a good person? Yeah. Um, am I worthy of whatever? Um, and 
those questions don't really go away. They just exist with us forever. Yes, that's so true. The questions, I, I don't think the questions ever go away. Like the, um, like we were talking about the voices, like I have like, there's still voices that are questioning all the time things that I felt like I've worked through already. Um, but they still come up. Some of them are, are quieter than others, right? In the quiet ones, it's very easy to just ignore them. Um, but some of them are still very loud. Um, and I, it's absolutely fascinating when you think about how um, when people bring up question and sometimes the questions are good questions like it does make you think um but then when there's like emo I, I think it's like there's a difference between questions with emotion attached and then question without emotion attached by emotion i mean like there's a different way to ask don't you worry about this in a way that is not feeling defensive it's really interesting when people ask it in a way that feels defensive because it's almost like they're feeling defensive and you're like yeah why are you being defensive you're asking me <laughs> i'm the one answering the question um so i think like yeah that makes a huge and, and it's so fascinating um because i think you can learn a lot about people <laughs> by yeah kind of like oh, triggering yeah. them <laughs> yeah it's i've learned it's a very you almost have a responsibility as somebody that's taking an unconventional path because all of a sudden your existence has gone from Oh, Lucy's so good. Like, or just people never question what you're doing. Yeah. The, it's just universal praise and acceptance. And then you step off and you take this different path. And like, yeah. suddenly you've triggered all sorts of anxieties and people. It just your existence yeah. makes them have to realize that their way of living life is not the only way. Yeah. Right? Which and, is like, so and then I don't think just we're walking judging. around and uh -huh. entering a room. Um, puts you into this state of like tr triggering anxieties in people. So you learn to just be very sensitive to these things. Yeah. So what do you say when you trigger people or you notice yourself I, doing it? Or Yeah. <laughs> I just try to listen and ask questions. I really am not here to convince people. People think I am. Mm -hmm. um, but what they're really experiencing is they're just uncomfortable with what I'm saying about what I'm exploring. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. So I just try to be patient and like, I really don't proactively bring up these things. If people start asking me questions, I love talking about these things, Yes, but I love talking about them in the sense of like, I'm still learning and exploring and need better ideas. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think the, yeah, just listening to it, like, why do you, it, it's very interesting because sometimes when people ask me, are you worried about something? Um, I will ask back. No, but why, why, why should I, like, why would I be worried? Like, because I, you know, they, they have a different perspective than I do. And I find that they really enjoy talking about why I would be worried because they're basically talking, they're talking through their own like thought processes about this. Um, it's, it's actually kind of freeing. I, I realize um, to know, like, if you really believe this, right. Um, that when people are like questioning you, they are, they are, what they're really saying is, if I were in your shoes, I wouldn't do it this way. It doesn't really have anything to do with you. Um, yeah. I find that it, it was actually, um, this, this, this ties into the next barrier that I wanted to address, which is relationships, which is that um, I, I used to, like, I, I think people are very worried that when you are taking an unconventional path, um, it's like you're going to be ostracized or like, you know, lose, lose your friends or loved ones. Um, and I guess the way the reason why it reminded me of this is that when I've decided that when people project insecurities onto me, 
it's, it has nothing to do with me. I realized that mm. they don't necessarily disapprove of me as a person. They're just trying to protect themselves. And and I stopped feeling the sense of like, like I'm not belong, I don't belong or something. Um, I, I don't know if you've had that uh, feeling before or that same revelation. Yeah, I I think something I realized is taking an unconventional path is very lonely. Mm. And so you suddenly are literally carving your own path. You're inventing your own story and you're doing it on your own terms and you're figuring it out along the way. And suddenly you realize, oh, I was in these corporate environments, these education environments where a lot of people are around me doing the same thing. Now, maybe those were close or not close connections, but suddenly you're just, you don't have peers anymore. Yeah. Right. And you kind of create this distance in your head and you see yourself as on your own journey. And so there's a little distance between you and your family, especially at first. Um, There's almost a tension of like, why can't this person be like us? Right. Yeah. And part of it is real. Um, Part of it is probably imagined too. And so, there's there's almost a real drifting away in terms of approaching life and getting to different values differently. And then there's an imaginary distance that's kind of created because you are on your own path and like trying to figure it out and you're very uncomfortable. And this is what Agnes Callard talks about as aspirational people are um, uncharacteristically needy yeah. or yes. characteristically needy. Um, right. And this is why I think finding other people is so important. You can't be reliant on changing the mind of the people you already know yeah. to like come to see you in a new way. You need to find people that support you. And the thing I've learned along the way is like the people that already support me, support me for who I am. They never cared about my work stuff anyway. Yes. Um, but some people only see you as like, strategy consultant, Paul. And like, I've lost touch with most of those people. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The aspirational journey, that was such an inspirational, uh, or sorry, uh, a a new, like, like a new concept that I've not heard anywhere else before. Um, can you talk more about what that means? What, what does it mean to have an aspirational journey? It's something about you, 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 uh, you mentioned something about trying on values. Uh, what does that, yeah. What does that mean? Agnes Callard wrote a whole book about this. She's a philosopher at the University of Chicago, and she tried to bring language to the process of becoming. Mm-hmm. So I think she has a similar gripe with like these high-level stories of how life works, right? We pick a goal and we head towards it and we get the goal, Yeah. right? There are a lot of things like that, and you can do things like that. And some people love those journeys, right? Like. Yeah. Um, land job at X company, very clear goal. You value having a job at that company. You can go after it. And once you get it, um, you, you mission accomplished. You're going to need another goal after that. She pairs that with an aspirational journey. So aspirational goals are a little more ambiguous or the journey to get there is a little less certain. Yeah. So she gives the example in her book of um, a music class, right? So you can say, I want to get an A in a music class, or you can say, I want to be somebody that 
gains a higher level of appreciation for music at the end of this class. Now, one of those paths um, is very narrowly defined. You already value getting a good grade, so you're going to focus on getting a good grade. That doesn't mean you can't come to appreciate music over the time, but that sort of focus is going to um, nudge out the opportunity and space for like this deeper journey. Now, if you're on this aspirational journey, like you're going to start asking questions. What would somebody that appreciates music learn to do? And you have no idea what it feels like to appreciate music more yet. Right. So there's, there's an uncertainty in there. There's almost like a magic and a mystery that's really powerful. Right. right? And you may determine that doing well in the class has nothing to do with appreciating music more. You may, you may decide to like not do any of the assignments because it's undermining yeah. what you're really after. <laughs> yeah. I think the question you're asking yourself there is so important. It's like, what is, what am I looking for? Like, what is, why am I doing this? Is it, is it music appreciation, right? Or is it um, to get a certain thing? And I, I love that. I, I, I think like this needs to be brought up more, but like you, you keep mentioning that like, there's no right or wrong answer. <laughs> like we're all different people. And um, sometimes I think, yeah, sometimes I think the question, like whatever the question is, it's like different depending on, uh, depending on who you are. Um, As- aspirational journeys are confusing to other people. Mm-hmm. So an ambitious journey would be, Paul, are you going to write another book? Mm-hmm. You're an author now. Yes, yeah. I'm writing another book. I need to do that because that's what an author does. Yeah. Um, I just like writing and I want to continue to writing and I don't know where it will take me. I don't know what I'm going to be writing about. And I don't know what the experience of like writing for another 10 years is going to feel like or what I'm going to think about writing, but I'm really excited to find out. Yeah. So that's like the aspiration. That that would be um, the perspective of an aspirational journey. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where <laughs> like, because I keep... um. Uh, I, I'm thinking about like the the money barrier again, right? Like if somebody decides that this is the amount of money I need to sustain my current lifestyle, right? Let's say they they did the they did the uh, what am I going to pay for and all of that, and they realize no, I, I I need this much money like a month or something to be able to sustain my current lifestyle. Then I'm curious if like. Like, is it possible to just live from an aspirational journey perspective? Or like at that point, do you need like to like, okay, some of it needs to be, um, I, I forgot what the other word for it, ambitious, right? Maybe like somewhat ambitious and then some of it can be aspirational. I know like, you know, a lot of people have like their full-time job and then like a side gig or something like that. I imagine that's that's what that's what's going on there. Um, have you ever given a uh, thought about that? Yeah, I think for me, it's figure out what you want and then figure out the costs of that. Mm. The co- the trade-offs, yes, yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, don't be naive. Don't, I think people are, yeah, I mean, you see like the struggling artist narrative, right? Yeah. Um, and they almost create like a self-fulfilling prophecy, prophecy of a struggle. Yeah. Right, and like I love writing. I haven't really made much money from writing, but it's like something I want to design my life around. Now I yeah. do a bit of consulting work to kind of like pay the bills, but I really try to minimize that. Yes. Because if I was doing that full time year round, I wouldn't actually have the energy to write. I don't know how else to set up my life right now. 
that's my working model now. Yeah. And I think that's why, and that is perfectly aligned with the, the, the priorities that you had. You had like these four priorities, health, relationships, fun and creativity, and then work in that order, right? And it sounds like what you're doing is you're kind of living in alignment with that, right? So like, um, like work and money is on there somewhere, right? But it's like, it's like, but it's on the it's it's where it is in the in the line right you're not going to like prioritize that above your health yeah it makes people uncomfortable too because a lot of people are con- unconsciously prioritizing money above everything else mm-hmm. we see it all the time when people bail on plans because oh i got to work late yes right i i was never like that i would always drop the ball at work for my friends <laughs> oh yeah um but we've put work above everything. Work and like canceling because of work has become a very socially accepted thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. I've decided I don't want to internalize that. Yeah. <laughs> now, does that, that means I'm going to pay costs. So when I was working full time, I didn't get the biggest promotions or raises. Yeah. Or even promoted at all. But I was already playing a different game. Right. That's the trade-offs that, that um, you were talking about, right? And I think like people think they can have it all. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to do that. I think I almost wrote my book as like a normal person's perspective. <laughs> I think so. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to like do my own thing and make a ton of money while still staying energized and excited about life now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I figure that out in the long term, like maybe I can help people with that. But I don't know how to do that. I didn't I also didn't know how to like crush it in a career while staying energized and alive. Yeah. Um I didn't know how to do a side hustle to like make money before I quit my job. I had to like quit my job and then figure it out because I didn't have enough energy left over after work to do it. Right. Yeah. I think that's being very cognizant of your of your trade-offs. And the thing you said about having it all, like, I like to think that on whose terms, because it's like, you can't have it all if, um, if you don't actually really want it, if that makes sense. Um, I think going back to the money thing, right? If you don't, if, if you just like eating, you know, street tacos and not the fine dining experience, then you're all like what, what goes into your all is very different than what goes into somebody else's all. Um, so I, 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 I think I went through a a time where it was like, I thought I could have it all, but my all was defined by what I saw other people doing. And then I'm like, well, I don't really want that. So why do I want all of that anyway? Um, I thought that was a fascinating kind of question (laughs) to to ask. Um, yeah. And I think that's so valuable. That's like my biggest suggestion for people to ask hard questions and try to answer them. And it might take you a decade to answer them. Oh my God. Yes. That's actually gold. What you said right there. It might take a decade to answer them. Cause I do think that so many people, including myself in the past, like wanted to figure out what the right answer was before taking action. And that's, especially when you're on an aspirational journey. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's possible to know before you take action because that would mean you're omniscient. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. Um, And and while we're kind of on that point of like aspirational journey, I think that I find that 
you can have, um, you know, achievement and aspirational, but I feel like everybody needs like to have at least like one aspirational journey in their life. And the reason I say that is because I think it develops your internal compass, unless you're just born with like an internal compass, like it really helps you develop that, like, who is the person I want to be, which I think was like a big question for you, right? Um, Yeah, and I I think we all have aspirational journeys um, in our lives already. We just ignore them. Oh, dear. Yes. (laughs) For me, me, it was like I loved I've always loved basketball and I like learning about basketball and appreciating the sport and following it and like watching games and playing. It's exciting for me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's always been something in my life that was a big curiosity when I was younger. I've been curious about so many different things in my life. Yeah. Um, And we all have these. We just tend to. Ignore like them. especially as we get older, we tend to narrow our imagination to like what can be paid for is like the only activities worth doing in the world. Yeah, that was a big question too. And when we started our coaching together, um, I think you asked us on the first day, "What? How do you define work?" And uh, it's so hard to disconnect money, money from that, and money as like the only um, like source of value that you can get. Um, and 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 what I, I find that what happens is that. Like money is important. Like as 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 we've talked about, money is an extremely important thing, and it's a very personal thing, um, which is probably why it's so important because it's so personal. Um, but when I think it's like you're limited by what you can do from the perspective of how can I monetize this, how can I make money off of this, it really limits the creativity. Um, like those moments for like like when you were on your journey, there were things that you couldn't have seen coming, right? Um, if you had only thought about how can I keep, how can I monetize this? How can I make money off of this? I, I feel at least this is from also talking to a lot of people like that. They, they, they would say that they wouldn't have figured it, figured out, like they wouldn't be where they are at if they didn't allow themselves that kind of permission to do stuff for the sake of it, not for the sake, but for the internal compass. Right. Yeah. I think, I think people would be better off if they carved out a little more space to find things worth doing for the sake of themselves. Yeah. I think a lot of people create this for themselves when they have kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. like, it's not hard to realize that like investing in your kids for the sake of it is worth it. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. It was actually very interesting. You said that because I, uh, for a while I was struggling with the idea that, if I have kids, because one of the things I really wanted to be is a present parent. That's like a, like, I just want to be a present parent. Um, and I, I was toying with the idea, like, am I okay if I just like work like part-time or like less than that, you know, it's like, and be more of a parent as my job than anything else. Is that like, would that be looked down? I, I, I had all these like weird questions pop up. And, and I know that being a parent is a very like, I mean, like, obviously, this is like work, like, and, and this serves people, right? Um, but that, that was like a thought that I didn't realize how badly I had that I felt so bad that maybe I just want to be a parent, like most of the time, and yeah, work less. I mean, you hear this, you people, I mean, the thing is, you probably will be judged. Yeah. Um, I want the same thing, and I am oh, fully yeah. aware that I probably will be judged too. Mm. You might be judged even more because I think there's a oh there's yeah, yeah. A gender bias <laughs> with that. Yeah. 
Um, shouldn't you be working? Don't you feel like the man should make more money? Like people have already said things to me when I've floated these ideas, but, um, yeah, it's, it's all like what I say is like, you got to be willing to pay the cost for what you want. (laughs) And one of the costs oftentimes of like taking your own path is losing status or being judged harshly by other people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're in a weird state of affairs where, people will say things like, oh, she chose to stay home or why did you choose to stay home? It's like, yeah. why Why is work the default? This is crazy. <laughs> like we're all just humans here. We're trying to take care of each other. We're trying to like do, do our best. Like, yeah. Can we just stop pretending like our sole <laughs> mission here on earth is to accumulate money through paychecks? Well, one of the things I think you that one of the things you mentioned in your book, this was also an article you assigned us in the group coaching was that um, there was an article about how the way we work now is actually an anomaly. Leisure for the major, vast majority part of humanity, it was like leisure was actually the default. Work is the like anomaly that you do. Um, Now leisure is like this break like this reward that you get after you do work right you earn it you earn the leisure i thought that was really fascinating it makes a lot of sense Uh, and it wasn't like i didn't know this to some extent but it was like i never thought about it until i read it you know what i mean yeah um people have written about this i think um eric Fromm has written about this in escape from freedom Mm -hmm. um he was writing about not until the 16th century did man show a yearning to work continuously throughout their lives yeah like it was this new capacity right yeah um and that was because of like a religious shift of like how people came to see work yeah and yeah it's new it's but it's also like many it's man-made it's based on like stories yeah Um, and we have more freedom now and like if you're in the 1700s and you want to like question the scripts, like probably not super smart. Like you're going to be shunned by your community and like you might starve. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's less true now. Yeah. I think um, so. Yeah. So we have this freedom and we're still learning how to exercise it and lean into that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think like I, I, I think going back to what you've said about the aspirational journey, it's like the people who are on it are inherently needy people, I think is what you said. Yeah. And how have you been able to find your tr- I've I've found that that's definitely happens is that like um, my existing set of people, the ones who love me for me and accept me for me, they stay, in, they will always stay in my life. They, they, regardless of what I'm doing, they may have questions, but they're, they're always there. And the people who, who don't they filter themselves out on their own and then it's like now i've downsized the people i know but how do you find you know how did you find your new tribe the the the, yeah writing online's been the biggest um way for me and Mm -hmm. twitter has been really great too Uh, a lot of people like me um doing unconventional paths and nomad communities around the world conferences all these things. I think especially in the first couple of years, I was very proactive around seeking out other people on similar paths yeah, and like leaning into those relationships and trying to cultivate them. Um, so yeah, that those are some of the things and I see value in that in itself. So 
it's pretty natural for me to do that. I think it's harder for other people, especially people who are not used to like being around a lot of people or making friends. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've tried to really integrate that into like how I'm doing everything. Awesome. Yeah. And I think like putting it, which is not, I, I wouldn't say like easy for everyone, but kind of just putting your story out there. Um, like for you, it was the writing. Um helps in a way to naturally attract the people and I find that even when I'm just sharing stuff on Facebook like sometimes people will be like oh I didn't know that you're doing that I think when I when I was going through my weight loss journey I was just sharing it on Facebook and Instagram and then I had people that's how I met a lot of my tribe when I was on the my health journey the health and fitness crew it was really from Facebook and Instagram I wasn't even like you know making blog posts or YouTube or doing any of that um so I think like there are ways, but I think people don't talk about what they're trying to do enough if they feel like it's not worth sharing or. Yeah. And you've probably yeah. experienced this. I think once you start sharing online, you realize that people are desperate for connection. Yes. And yeah. suddenly they, they see what I'm writing about. And like, even within my friends, you suddenly have these people that like reveal themselves yeah. And they're like, oh, I can actually tell you what I'm really thinking about now because you've <laughs> shared, like by sharing my vulnerability, you give permission for other people to be exactly who they are. Yes. Um, Absolutely. And even yeah. in, in my family, like I've had people like my aunt reach out consistently from the beginning and that's been really oh. cool. Um, and I didn't know a lot of her story until I started sharing mine and she would like share hers and things like nice. that. So. That was amazing. Oh, that's awesome. That's so awesome. Yes. I love it when that happens when it's like you, you, um, it's almost like you give, I think you use the word permission. It's like other people see that, oh, this is actually, um, something that other people, like, I'm not the weird one. Right. I, I think yeah. that was one of the best things that came out of our coaching is that, um, it's like, I think we all said it in different ways how it's like, oh, we, um, this is normal. <laughs> and, um, and and it's okay to you know think different things um even if it's not like if there's risk involved or it's not like the default mode of doing things um yeah um awesome paul um i i wanted to kind of uh just kind of wrap up with just some more more like getting to know you <laughs> kind of questions um actually from your just for you like are there are there any things that you wish like more people knew about you that you don't often get to share I share a lot. <laughs> I, I've had people meet me who have like engaged with me online and they say, you're kind of like what I expect uh, yeah. in person. I, I think one thing about me is I'm incredibly calm and happy most of the time. Yes. And I think maybe through my writing, people might think I'm like very serious and intense sometimes. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm I'm very calm, very happy. I love being around people and I'm pretty easygoing. Yeah, um, you're very chill. <laughs> I think I was like, I think the first time I like talked to you in person, I was like, did he get enough sleep? <laughs> Cuz you just seem so relaxed. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh sometimes my like <laughs> calmness can come off as like a lack of interest, but that that's usually <laughs> not true. Yeah. Um I, I'll share you a thing that I uh, was surprised by, I guess. Um, yeah. I didn't realize you were that into family um, uh, because I guess, be oh, that's very interesting. So like, oh, interesting. I just like kind of triggered myself a little bit. Like 
I didn't associate family with work. So I was like, I, I was going to say, because you write so much about work, I, even though it's like untraditional work or whatever, I didn't think you were like a family man. And that's very interesting for me because I'm like, oh, interesting, Lucy. Why did you think just because he wrote about work all the time, he wasn't into family? Um, but Yeah, it's kind of the underlying yeah. reason for all of it. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. It's like because, well, because I do care about family so much. And like when I have kids, I want to be present and around. And yes. I want to have a life that I can dictate on my own terms. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be able to fit in. I don't want to have to fit family around some employer's yeah. um, time blocks of my life. Yeah. I, um, I, I feel you on that. And um, that it was so it's so funny because I'm thinking to that part in the book where you said you basically gave up on having a family. You decided you were just going to be a fun uncle and moved it, moved it, uh, go to Taiwan. And that's where you met your wife. Yeah. She had given up on, well, she's, she's your earlier esteemed guest on this podcast. Um, but, uh, yeah, she had like given up on that too. So it's kind of funny. Oh. We met at the same time. That's so funny. Yeah. And well, that's interesting, though, because you were still dating, even though you had, quote, given up. Like, did you really give up or was that just a story you told yourself or what was that all about? Probably a story. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I had become attached to like, this is what I want. I think when I was working full time, yeah. I was kind of convinced that like once I meet the person I want to be with, then I can like do all these other things. Right? Uh -huh. like travel and like start a family and then figure out life yeah um but was what was really underneath that is i just needed to go figure out life <laughs> yes um so did i re still yearn for that probably mm -hmm. um yeah i've always i always wanted to find somebody that would match with me but i don't think i knew myself well enough until my mid-30s to actually make that happen yeah I see. I see. Yeah. Well, I'm very looking forward to, you know, if and when that happens and you're <laughs> go probably going to start writing about it, if it does, like, yes, how does how does one juggle a uh, integrate, I guess, like the uh, unconventional path with parenting? Because that's like the biggest that's a, yeah. that's a that's a huge can of worms of, of beliefs, which is like you have to have a stable, you know, whatever mm -hmm. to support a family and da da da. And I've I've I've. I've you know, journaled on this a lot extensively, <laughs> but like, so I know that's a huge thing. So you're going to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go on. I've talked, I've sought out a lot of people who have families and I talk to them and learn from them. One thing I've learned is like having kids basically just makes you more of who you are and uh, you can't waste time with like stories and stuff like that. I, yeah. A lot of people who end up taking unconventional paths, like having a kid or um, becoming pregnant, like actually has them double down on oh. their unconventional paths or take it more seriously. Yes. Um, yeah. And yeah, too many people use this as a story for like, I can't because I eventually want kids and this is irresponsible. It's like, no, you're just the kind of person that doesn't want that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. So yeah. And I think my mindset going into it is like, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely open to being wrong and I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And what are some uh, experiments uh, or questions you're exploring right now or looking forward to exploring more of? 
Uh, so I'm trying to, I've been trying the last year, trying to experiment with just injecting more play and spontaneity into my life. Um, so one of the things I'm doing now is taking DJ classes. I just started yesterday. Really? <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I got really excited about like DJing and like college, but never really pursued it. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm picking that up again and yeah, it was so fun yesterday like it just tapped into something and like i don't know i haven't experienced this since writing so it's it's gonna be cool to explore this and who knows what comes out of it oh that's so awesome i i don't okay that was i i would have never guessed that sounds so (laughs) cool i didn't know you were into that i didn't know you were like a music person and yeah yeah, it's I I have always loved music and had this draw towards like I don't know, whenever I hear DJs like just like taking one song and like flowing yeah. it into the other. I've always been drawn by that like flow of like dance and music and making things happen. So Awesome. Well, I'm really looking forward to hearing your mixes. Maybe that's going to be your new podcast intro and outro music by Maybe. DJ yeah. Paul. Um yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, so yeah, so uh, Paul Paul Miller's book is called The Pathless Path, and you can get it. I mean, anywhere where they sell books, uh, so Amazon, etc. Where else Everywhere. do people buy books? <laughs> so you I really can get it know. on Walmart.com. Actually, yeah. okay, <laughs> yeah. So you can get it everywhere. Um, and his podcast, Reimagine Work. Um, uh, if you want to, you know, learn more about um, the pathless path and basically how other people are living it, because I think we don't get enough stories of real people. Um, so like we only see the tip of the iceberg headline news, and I think it's like really, um, I, I think it's like really good for people to just hear what is going on beneath the water. Um, and then Paul, where, where else can our audience find you? Twitter P underscore Millard. That's pretty easy. Or just search Paul Millard and I'm the only one that pops up. <laughs> awesome. And then think dash boundless.com is your, um, yeah, is your yeah, site. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then eventually, hopefully there will be a DJ, DJ Paul <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> And then we can yeah, listen to your come, sick beats. I got to come up with a better DJ name. I, yeah. I called myself DJ Popo Shizzle in <laughs> college. But no, I think that's yeah? it's very early 2000s energy. I love it. I love it. DJ Popo Shizzle. All right. All right. Well, thanks so much, Paul, for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you. Sounds good. Keep going, Lucy. I love it. Oh, thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please leave a review, subscribe, or become a supporter in the show notes below. And if you'd like to learn more about self-discovery and how to live in alignment on your terms, go to lucyleong.com or check the show notes below for more goodies. Thank you, and I appreciate you.